This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Oh, I... I don't want to seem thank, uh, seem like I don't want to seem unappreciative. I said, but I was just hoping for more. And he go, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry that I, I feel this way. And he said, you know, I was hoping for more too. He said, but the thing is, he said, it. I think that we're just gonna have to eat this elephant one spoonful at a time. Something else will come out. I think you'll get some more time knocked off. Something else will come up. Something will happen. And he just looked at me and I went, okay, okay. Hey, this is Matt Cox and this is part eight of my prison journey. No, uh, of my my story as far as, you know, when I went to prison. Uh, I, I think the last video I had mentioned that I'd written Ephraim Devaroli's book, which was a book called um, Once a Gun Runner. It had been published. And the problem with that finishing that story is that story drags out over the course of like several, a couple of years all the way up to me leaving. So what I want to do now is I want to kind of jump back and explain that at this point in time, I'm at the low security prison. I've been there for I want to say a few years, a few years, maybe two years, going on three years. And there was a guy that showed up at Coleman named Frank Amadeo. Now, this is important. The the way he worked, he kind of is weaved into my story. It's it's hard to tell all of these stories chronologically because the it's such a long period of time that by the time you get to part eight or nine or 10 or 11, you know, you're going to say, wait a second, who is he talking about now? Well, that's somebody that I talked about in part three. So I'm trying to kind of do a, an anecdotal type story where I kind of wrap up as much as possible in one sitting. So a guy by the name of Frank Amadeo showed up at the prison. Frank Amadeo was, a, a he was a, um, He's a lawyer. Well, he's a he has a law degree, and he's a disbarred lawyer. 
Now, he came into the prison system and he started doing legal work for other inmates. So I'm at the low and I remember I was I was in the lunch room or not lunch room, they call it the, the, the chow hall, whatever, the cafeteria. So it was in the chow hall and I remember somebody had pointed to him and he was still kind of drugged up at the because when he first got there for like a year or so, he was on he was on a lot of medication. Um, because Frank Amadeo is a rapid cycling bipolar with features of schizophrenia. So he, when he's in a, the, a manic mode, right? Like when he's manic, what Amade- what happens with Amadeo is, because obviously bipolars, they have extreme lows and extreme highs. So when he becomes manic, Amadeo is becomes semi, you know, schizophrenic, delusional. Uh, in an extreme way, not that he's not always a little, a little bit off, but in an extreme way. And during some course of this rapid cycling that he goes through, he believes that he's hearing the voice of God tell him that he's preordained to be emperor of the world. So you could imagine how strange that is. Uh, and, and I mean, I was locked up you know, I was locked up uh, basically almost 13, 13 years. I always say just rounded up to 13, so roughly 13 years. And the thing about being locked up that long is I've seen a lot of different types of criminals, and I have never met a guy that was committing crimes specifically because he wanted to take over the world. Like that's that's James Bond shit. Like that that's that's Spectre. That's um, you know, that's a, a James Bond villain. Well, anyway, he was in the in the chow hall, and I remember I was sitting, you know, standing in line, and one of, we, we were some of the guys were talking, and one of the guys was like, "You see that dude over there? That that guy's a fucking lawyer." I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, he was in the newspaper. He got like twenty two years." And I was like, "Really?" And they said, "Yeah, bro. He thinks that he's like he's gonna be like he's gonna take over the world or something. Like he he's got an amazing case." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I was like, "That's." He like what? And he's like, "Yeah, he thinks he's gonna take over the world. Like not like yeah, I'm gonna take over the world, but like he." truly believes that it's his destiny that god is telling him he's going to be the emperor of the world which in and of itself is an odd thing to even say emperor who the fuck says emperor so anyway you would say ruler right like the ruler of the world like is that even possible i i don't know i doubt it so anyway so i see amadeo no big deal over the course of several months, maybe a year or so, he ends up getting off of the medication and he starts fighting his case. But he starts fighting other inmates' cases. Now, in my own case, I was supposed to get a sentence reduction. I had pled guilty with the the I'm gonna say use the word promise. You know, with the promise, they don't really promise you. They say this is what we're going to do, and they and they'll say, you know, they'll actually say we can't promise you, but if you do this, we're going to do this. And you're like, okay, but you can't. Well, we can't put anything writing, but that's how it's going to work. And so then you do what the government tells you to do, and then they suddenly say, yeah, that's just not enough. We're just not going to do anything for you. And that's that's really where I was in my case. I had been interviewed by Dateline. To do an episode, I'd been interviewed by American Greed. I did an episode, and I had I had um, actually written – I'd written a, a, a course. I'm not sure if I got into the course, but did I ever tell you – did I did I mention the course that I wrote, the ethics and fraud course? 
Oh, okay. So what happened is th- this is about the same t- period of time that I, you know, I'd done all these things for the government and they hadn't done anything for me. So I was about to file what's called um, – actually, I did end up filing one. I ended up filing a uh, – it's called a um, – a motion to compel. It's a, a motion to compel the government to do something that they said they'd do. Like in this case, it would be a motion to compel you to, um, you know, a motion to compel the government to reduce my sentence based on the fact that I had been interviewed by two different agencies, or t- sorry, two different, um, by two different, uh, whatever, uh, TV shows, and they said they'd cut my sentence. I'd also, been interviewed by the FBI and the Secret Service. The problem is nobody had ever been arrested as a result of my cooperation. So the government was saying, well, nobody was ever co- nobody was ever arrested. And my lawyer, of course, was saying, yeah, but he was interviewed. It's not his fault. You guys didn't you didn't those those interviews didn't end up panning out and you guys were able to arrest anybody. That's not Mr. Cox's fault. It's all you know, and you also asked him to do be interviewed by two Navy, uh, two news tabloid news programs, which you were interv- I was interviewed by, you said you'd give them something for that too. And they were just like, yeah, well, it just didn't work out. It's just not going to happen. So there wasn't much I could do. Well, what I did was at the same time I filed the motion to compel, I ended up getting a letter from a guy named Jim Montram. I didn't mention Jim Montram and, and that I wrote a course, an ethics and fraud course. So Jim Montram ends up it ends up that Jim Montram is a guy that I had gone to – he actually teaches the course which mortgage brokers have to take in order to get licensed in Florida. It's called the Jim Montram, uh, Jim Montram National Mortgage Brokers Origination Course or something. It's pretty long. Um, I, I, I end up – so I had gone there, and that's how I, I studied under Jim Montram. And I took my test, and I, I ended up getting a becoming a mortgage broker. Well, Jim Montram writes me a, a letter and says, "Listen, based on the new Dodd Dodd Frank Act, all the mortgage brokers in the in the country have to be they have to take continuing education courses. So all mortgage brokers have to take like nine hours of continuing education in the state of Florida. Three hours of that is on ethics and fraud." He said, "I want to write a course on ethics and fraud with you to be taught." to the nation's mortgage brokers to help them with ethics and fraud to fulfill their continuing education portion of their um, of their licensing. So I end up writing Jim and saying, look, I'm, I'm interested in doing this, but can you do me a favor and contact my lawyer? So Jim Montram and my lawyer, Jim Montram flies up to Atlanta. He and my lawyer go to the U.S. attorney, sit down with her and explain what he wants to do. She tells him if Mr. Cox agrees to do this, she tells my lawyer, if Mr. Cox agrees to do this and you use the course, I will reduce his sentence. I will consider that substantial assistance and I'll reduce his sentence. And she's told me this many times. But once again, what choice do I have? So I end up writing the course with Jim Montram. It's 9,500 words. I end up writing the uh, entire course. He ends up using the course. He writes a glowing letter to uh, the judge, to my U.S. attorney uh, – I'm sorry, to the, to the U.S. attorney explaining that I had written the course and it's being used and how amazing it is and goes to the U.S. attorney and 
my attorney goes to the U.S. attorney and she ends up saying, what's going on? When are we going to reduce Mr. Cox's course, uh, Mr. Cox's sentence? And she says, I'm sorry, Millie. Millie's the name of my lawyer. She says, I'm sorry, Millie. It's just not enough. Now, at this point, I'm doomed. Sorry, you had to hear that. So at this point, I'm completely screwed. I've contacted lawyers on the street. One, I couldn't pay them, but I contact them like I could pay them. And I contact them. Well, one thing I thought maybe I would get some money for the thing I had done with Deborah Rowley. I figured he would sell the book and I'd get a chunk of money or maybe they'd get a movie made. I didn't know, but I figured I'd get some money and I could use that money to help get myself out of prison, get a lawyer, a real lawyer on the street. So I contacted several lawyers and it's funny because I ended up contacting a, a, a T.I.'s lawyer. Do you know who T.I. is? Uh, he was a famous rapper and he had cooperated and got his sentence knocked way down. So I actually contacted his lawyer, talked to him on the phone. And uh, he said, yeah, you're basically he said, there's nothing you can do. Like you're screwed. I ended up talking to, I ended up talking to like two or three, I think it was three lawyers. And all three of them said, there's just nothing you can do to force the government to, to reduce your sentence. So I'm in a bad spot. I filed a motion to compel and, but Jim Montrum had written me that letter and I'd ended up removing the motion to compel. So I withdrew the motion to compel from the court did the course, wrote the course, and as after writing the course, was told they 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 weren't going to do anything for me. And all the lawyers said, "You're not going to, we're not going to be able to do anything for you." I'm sorry, you just fucked. And it's like the government lied to me. The government fucked me over. I'm screwed. And everybody said, "Yes, you're screwed," and that's just the way it is. So I end up a friend of mine named uh, we called him Turk because he's Turkish. Uh, uh, Turk ends up saying, you need to talk to Frank. And I said, Frank who? And they go, he goes, Frank Amadeo. And I go, the emperor? Because everybody started calling Frank the emperor. And I was like, the emperor? And he's like, yeah, the emperor. I said, that's nuts. Forget that. I'm not going to talk to that guy. He's crazy. Like, I don't want him do touching my legal work. I'm in enough trouble. And he says, nah, bro, I'm telling you, you need to talk to him. He said he's actually getting a lot of people's sentence sentences reduced and he's getting people's um, sentences their cases overturned he's getting people time knocked off he's getting people released and i'm like and i had heard that he was getting better and better keep in mind this is something that went happened six or this was now a year or so from when amadeo had gotten there so he was starting to to do people's cases and he was having remarkable success so i and he was actually it's funny too um so I go, okay. So I go and I, I I start looking into him. I talk to a couple guys he'd worked with, talk to um Turk. And it turns out that excuse me. So it turns out that Frank actually started teaching a course which was called the um the legal research course. And so he ended up he'd have like 20 or 30 people in this course. So as an inmate, you can teach. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They ask you to teach courses, and if you volunteer, you supposedly you get programming points or something. But I've never seen that. I don't think that's. I think that's bullshit. The point is, is that he basically had like twenty or thirty people that would go to his course, and he would teach them on how to research how to use the legal computers in the. Uh, in the prison to research your your case, which is much more difficult than you think. But he also taught guys how to write motions. Through the process of this, he ends up making a lot of people, a lot of friends with people, and he gives out a lot of good advice. And because he's manic, he almost never sleeps, and he works all the time, and he's also extremely intelligent. And he reads all the time. And so what ends up happening is he he starts putting together what is essentially a law firm within the prison. Like he would have someone, if you had a problem with, you wanted to get a divorce, he had somebody that just did divorces. If you had child custody issues with your, your ex-wife and she wouldn't bring your kids to come see you, he had somebody that dealt with uh, family law and they would file paperwork to make your ex-wife or your baby's mom or whatever, bring your kid to see you. I mean, he was doing, you know, and of course, just your regular legal, the regular legal stuff. He's fighting guys' cases, getting them overturned, getting their sentences cut. So I go to Frank and he's got like a, a moderate size. He has, he probably has four, four people that typed for him full time. He had at least six people that did legal research for him. And he had Three or four guys that he called his associates, which were guys that they're like they're like prison lawyers. You know, you've heard the term. He's a oh, he's a prison lawyer, which is basically just an inmate that teaches himself the law and does legal work for other inmates. But he doesn't actually have a degree, and he's not a real. He's never passed the bar. He just learned how to do it in prison, so he's a prison lawyer. So he had a bunch of associates that he. That were he didn't call them prison lawyers, but they were all associates, and you know we, we knew what they were. They were guys that had been doing it, but were now under Frank's umbrella, and Frank was now using them uh, as as like legal, you know, counsel for the inmates. He it listen to be honest with you, it's it that that alone, that aspect of Amade, Frank Amadeo's story is amazing. But here's so here's here's where I'm at. I go to Amadeo. With with Turk and I say, look, my name's Matt Cox, and I say, here's what's happened. Well, here, do you have some a few minutes? He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I blocked off an hour. I said, okay. So I mean, and legally, I'm sorry, legally. Uh, and interestingly enough, by the way, he he would schedule appointments like a lawyer. He would. It, it was amazing. Guys would line up. He had. What did he have? Um, was it Spanish Tuesday? He had like Spanish Tuesday where he the Spanish guys would come see him. And he had two interpreters that would sit with him while Spanish-speaking inmates would explain their case to him. And he would then you know, get the information with the Spanish-speaking uh, 
legal guys and he would communicate with them and then he would tell them what they needed to do or he would take on their case because he didn't take on everybody's case. You had to had to actually have a case. And a lot of guys, he'd hear the whole case, he'd research it, he'd look over the whole thing and he'd say, you don't have a case. Like, listen, you, you know, you were caught with 40 kilos of heroin. You pled guilty to 20 years and that's, you're going to get 20. That's what you got. Like, that's it. You don't have a case. So you're going to have to do your time. Like, join a softball team, you know, uh, go to take some classes, you know, um, you know, go to, you know, sign up for horticulture and put in for a, a, a two-man cube like or two-man cell because you're going to be here a while. Anyway, I go to Frank. We go to his office. He had his own office. The, the staff actually gave him a, an office. So we go to Frank's office. And uh, I sit down and I explain the whole thing. Like I thoroughly just – and he's like, just go through it. Tell me what happened. So I, I tell him everything that happened in my case. And when I'm done, I'm expecting to get the same, the same spiel that the lawyers on the street gave me. And he said – Frank said, no. No, I'm not going to let this happen. I refuse to allow them to do this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. We're going to make them give you that sentence reduction. This is unfair. I won't stand for it. He goes through a little manic moment. <laughs> it was nuts. And he just gets all, all kind of like a little bit crazy. And he starts going on this little manic, has this manic moment. And in the middle of it, he says, this is, he, he said, this is what's wrong with the legal system. He goes, and when my, he goes, when, my, what do you say? My uh, minions. He goes, no, he didn't say minions. He said troops or something like that. But he goes, when my troops march on Washington, he said, and the president kneels at my feet. He said, I'm, he said, I burn the, he said, I'm going to burn the constitution and I'm going to rewrite this entire system. He said, and this is the reason why things like this. And I remember looking over at, at Turk thinking, what the fuck have you got me into? This dude's nuts he's off his rocker so and then frank kind of came back down and he went okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna have to follow what's called the 2255 he said i'm sure you would know what that is that's a habeas motion uh, uh to uh, uh vacate your sentence uh, based on the fact that your lawyer uh, was ineffective however he said your lawyer really wasn't ineffective as much as your lawyer just didn't understand the law and so what what i need is i need a copy of your transcripts i'm going to need a copy of your and he starts listing off all the things that he needs and you know i say okay okay frank i'll get to work on all that i'll order all those that stuff and he said all right let me know and when you get that stuff he said bring it to me and i'll start working on the case i said okay no problem and i leave so i leave with turk and turk goes okay well bro yeah you got to get the turk's like writing all this stuff down cuz he's working with frank he's like writing and and then he says um uh, okay, get this, get this. I'm not giving that guy my stuff. He's insane, bro. Did you hear the little rant? He, I know he does that sometimes. And by the way, I've heard that same speech of his, I don't know, 40 times. Uh, anyway, uh, so he's, Turk tells me, look, get the stuff. What, you know, like, you know, what do you have to lose? Like, you're doomed, bro. You're fucked. And I was just like, I, I was fucked. Like I was screwed. Like everybody, when you've got lawyers on, the famous lawyers 
accomplished lawyers on the street telling you, do your time, bro. You're not getting out of this. You, you, you've got a problem, man. I had a major problem. Uh, so I get all my stuff together. I give it to Frank. A few weeks go by. Frank comes back and he says, okay, I, and I explained to him, you know, I'm time, I'm what's called time barred. Like you only have one year. You've got one year to file a 2255, which is to say I was basically, my lawyer was ineffective. I wasn't represented by a competent attorney and you have one year. So. I was way past that one, one year from your sentencing, and I was way past the one year. That one year mark had come and gone. And there's no appeal. When you sign your plea agreement, you waive your right to appeal. You only get to appeal things when you go to sentencing. I'm sorry. You only get to appeal uh, your, your conviction when you go to trial. When you take a plea, you waive that right. So my only real option was to file a 2255 or a motion to compel. Neither which are are really worth much. So Frank says we're going to file a twenty two fifty five, and I said, yeah, but I'm time barred, bro. Like I only had one year, and I'm way past the one year. And he said, no, no. He said there's equitable tolling is involved, and so what equitable tolling means that every time a certain action happens, your time is told, so it's continually told over and over again. So let's say you have one year to do something, but then the government comes back and they say, oh, wait a minute, we, we, haven't, we need to do this and we're going we're gonna to give you this. Okay, so every time the, or we need you to do this or the, the court says, wait a second, you have to do this. Every time there's another action involved, it gives you another year. It's one year from the moment that you're, sentence is finalized. So if you're sentenced and then let's say six months later something occurs and they have to re-sentence you, well, then you have another year. Or let's say six months later the government says, we want you to do this for us. And you do that, you then get an additional year because your your sentence is never quite set. It's never completed um, in stone. Now, Frank took that to the extreme. And what Frank said was, every time the government asked you to do something and you did it, that means that your sentence was not finalized and therefore you get equitable tolling. And therefore the the clock starts over again. I'll tell you right now, that's not how it works. But that was his in. That gets around the time bar. Now, pretty much the government should just have swiped that. Not that it's government, but the judge should have been like, yeah, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, the other thing is, and, and then of course, then even if you can get around equitable, even if you can get around the one-year time bar, you still have to prove to the court that your attorney is ineffective or basically incompetent. And, and I, I honestly, you know, although I'm not, I don't think that my lawyer did everything correctly. I think that I didn't give her much to work with, and she did the best she could with as bad of a position as I'd put herself and myself in. 
So in my opinion, you know, my lawyer did the best she really could. But Frank said that my lawyer didn't understand the law. And had she understood that I could not get my sentence reduced simply for writing a course and being interviewed by the gov- or by some tabloid TV shows, then I would have most likely not pled guilty and gone to trial. And that may or may not be true. We don't know. But what we do know is that I was given bad advice. And she didn't and she gave that advice because she was being misled by the government. And so she didn't understand the law. She didn't understand she was being misled. And as a result of that, he believed I could get my sentence um, overturned or or forcibly recent be allow me to be resentenced, in which case we could now bring in all of the things I had done and we could mention those things in front of the judge. Now, I'm sorry that this is so complicated, and that's why I hate telling this story because I know that most people would, would have been like, bro, this is insane. I'm just – forget it. I'm not even listening. But it's going to get more streamlined here soon. So what ends up happening is Frank puts together this motion, and he sends it to the court. And, it, and so he sends it to the court, and my – um. I'm basically – I file something with the court that says my lawyer's ineffective. And so I call my lawyer. I'm basically saying you're incompetent. And I call my lawyer a couple like, – it had been filed and like a week had gone by and I was like, I don't even know if it was filed because, you know, I'm in prison. Like I just put it in the mail and we mail it off. You don't know. Like did, he, did they get it? Did they file it? What's happening? So I'm freaking out. So I'm like, fuck, you know what? And I told Frank, I said, Frank, I'm going to call my lawyer. And he goes, she's not going to talk to you. He's just, she's been motioned. By now, she's been notified. She's not going to talk to you. And I went, ugh. I said, well, I'm going to call her anyway. I think she will. She always answers my phone. And by the way, that's very rare. Like most public defenders, once you're sentenced, you never hear from these people again. They don't talk to you. Millie always answered my phone calls. Very professional, very polite, just the nicest person. Like you, you really couldn't pick a better advocate, just a great lawyer in general. Because most people, if you talk to any of my buddies, you'll, they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, I never hear, you never hear from your fucking lawyer after the, a public defender after a sentence. So I end up, con- I end up uh, calling her and she answered the phone and she's like, Hey, Matt, what's going on? I said, Hey, how are you doing? She goes, Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I said, no, I'm good. I said, uh, everything's good. I said, I just want to check on you, see how you're doing. And she is, oh, I thought maybe you were calling because you filed a, a, a 2255 where you said I was uh, I was ineffective. I go, you know, Millie, it was a tough case. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying I, – <laughs> I mean, it was you know, it was a lot going on. It was a tough situation. She goes, you, you said I didn't know what I was doing. I said, I, you know, I think that what's important – is that you know um, you know it was it was a tough situation. I think you know you were in a bad spot. And she's like, okay, well, listen, they filed the motion. The government has the court gave them sixty days to respond. It's fine. It'll. I, I hope. I wish you the best. Don't. And I went, okay. Well, I appreciate it. She's okay. All right, bye. Hang up the phone. So the government comes back and. Uh, the government says – well, the, the court – the judge said, tells the government they have 60 days. Then a few – close to the 60 days, they ask for another 30-day extension, and the judge gives them 30 more days. And then they come back and they say, Your Honor, 
There's no equitable tolling here. Yes, Mr. Cox was asked to do certain things, but that doesn't qualify him for equitable tolling. Uh, you know, this circuit court said this and this circuit court. And there's all these they all these things that they mention. like this has been argued in this court and this one. So then, uh, you know, and, and even if he isn't. If equitable tolling applied, he still, you know, he still was never promised anything in writing and he this and he that. And it's all, you know, so they go back and forth. Then Amadeo comes in and he argues with them. And then they argue back and then he comes in with what's called a, a, a retort. So it's it's like their reply. Then he replies. Then he retorts to their reply. I mean, it's, it's, it goes on. This goes on for six months. So finally – just be like I, I'm sitting there, like, like it's this bad. This is bad. Like, and, and they, this is the thing: they, they know no matter what, I'm going to. You can appeal that decision. Like, I will appeal when if the judge. I'm just waiting for the judge to say, "Yeah, equitable tolling doesn't apply." Like, I don't know what you're doing. Um, and what ends up happening is just before I'm assuming I'm going to get that, I get a letter in the mail, and the government has filed a motion with the court saying, Your Honor, we would like to stay all of the um, – we'd like to stay all the proceedings. We'd like to stop everything, and we'd like the court to appoint an attorney for Mr. Cox to discuss with Mr. Cox whether he wants to continue forward with his – Bullshit motion, um, or if he wants to accept a sentence reduction in order to essentially drop everything. So, you know, I that that was, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't convey what a huge victory that was, which meant they were willing to reduce my sentence. So they've already said they're willing to to do that, but it's how by how much so i go to frank with the letter and frank's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you got you'd have to see frank frank's a little guy he's like 5354 five, he's chunky um he's got kind of a squat body uh, very very napoleon looking and and he's he's like and the 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 eerie thing about him is that on every step of the way every step of this process Frank told me what was going to happen. Well, I, I was like, so they have 60 days? He's like, well, they'll ask for an extension. They ask for an extension. You know, well, they're going to come back and say this and this. And then I'm going to say this and this. And then they're going to say this and this. And then at that point, they will most likely offer you something. Or we will probably get turned down by the by the judge and uh, we'll appeal that. And then at that appeal, at that point, they will probably offer you something or like he had it all laid out, like what was going to happen. Keep in mind, I've seen people file motions and get just turned down, turned down, turned down. And so what ended up happening was I ended up getting this letter. And he had told me one of the things he said, most likely you'll get a letter from them. They will they will offer you something. Sure enough, I get a letter. We want to we want the court to give him Mr. Cox a lawyer. To discuss a sentence reduction, so they pay for an attorney her name was um oh man it doesn't really matter but it's esther panich Ooh, can't believe i remember it esther esther 
it's funny too because if you look up Esther, like she'd been on CNN, Fox News, she'd been on all these programs. Like she was, she was a like a big time lawyer. You know, she was like a talking head wherever they have to, whenever Fox News needs some somebody to come in and and talk about something, or CNN needs somebody to talk about some trial, they have her on at that point. So she comes in and she gets on a plane and she flies down to uh, to Coleman, and I go in the the room with her, the 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 attorney attorney client attorney whatever, turn it client visitation room. It's a visitation. So I go in there and I sit down and, and I say, hey, what's up? And she sits down. And she goes, okay, hey, so she said they appointed me to try and get a reduction. She goes, so listen, kudos to you. She's like, this never happens. Like this very seldomly happens. I was like, oh, I know, I know. And she says, um, as far as your 2255 and you going forward with it, continuing to fight it in the court, she said, honestly, I, I don't see it. I don't think going anywhere. She said, it's well written. She said, but your legal argument, I don't think is going to get you. I don't think ultimately you're going to win at the district level. And I don't think at the appellate level, you'll win either. And she said, so you really just don't have a case here. And I went, well, and yet you're here. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I went, well, I mean, if, if you're saying that I have no case, she's like, no, I don't. She's like, they're gonna, they're going to win. I said, then why not just win? Like, why wouldn't they just crush me? Like, I'm having to force them to give me something. You're saying I can't force them, and yet you're here. And she goes, okay, well, I see your point, but they probably feel they owe you something. And I went, but they don't. They've told my former lawyer Millie over and over again that I haven't, I don't deserve anything. She says, well, I mean, you've painted them into a corner. I'm like, yeah, but it's a corner that they can. They can win. Like it's, it's a fight they can win, you're saying. So why not win? And she went, yeah, I see your point. I said, so as far as me rolling over, because what they were offering me was the, the government was offering me a one-level reduction. Now, one level well, at that point was 40 months off my sentence. So you have to think I, I was sentenced to 360 months. 60? No, that's not right. 16. I was sentenced to 316 months, and they were offering 40 months off. 40. That's it's not even three and a half years. No. So it's like you gave me – they gave me over 26 years, and they're offering me three years off. So she, she, she was saying, but you don't have a choice. You have no choice. And she said, she said, but you know, you did a good job writing the, the brief or the, the 2255, you had a good job, uh, did a great job writing. I said, well, I didn't write it. And she goes, who wrote it? And I went, uh, Frank Amadeo. And she goes, Frank Amadeo. And she goes, who's Frank Amadeo? And I went, Frank Amadeo is a guy who's in here. He's a former lawyer. Uh, he's disbarred. And I said, he's, he's, he's crazy. And she goes, she goes, he's crazy. What do you mean? I go, no, I mean he's like certifiably crazy. Like, like he has a guardian. Like he, he's, he's actually got, um, he's like they've mentally like incompetent as far as the law is concerned. Like he's, he's lost all of his rights. Um, he has an actual guardian. Like he's, he's crazy. And she goes, that's who's doing your legal work? A crazy – and I, I went, yeah. He says he's bipolar. He's got schizophrenia. And she was like, you have got a bipolar schizophrenic doing your legal work? And I went, yeah. Well, it doesn't seem to affect his legal work. 
<clears throat> he does think he's going to take over the world. Um, he, he hears God talking to him. Um, and he got himself 22 years because he stole like $180 million from the government. So I'll get into that in a minute or maybe another video. I could probably do it. How, how much time? Another video? Oh, bro. Okay. Damn. I really wanted to get to it in this video too because it's such a – is gnarly still a word? Gnarly story. It's such an amazing story. But what ends up happening is she's like you're letting an, a, a guy who who's crazy do your legal work. I said, yes. And she went, that's the most bizarre thing I've, I, I think I've ever heard. And I said, yeah, he's crazy. I said, he's also cutting people loose left and right. And I said, and you're here. You're here. I said, every legal, every legally sane lawyer on the street told me this couldn't be done. And yet he got the government to offer to reduce my sentence. So I'm gonna spin, I'm gonna spin this up a little bit. What ends up happening, because this, this is in the process of a lot of other things happening. So I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up, kind of do an anecdotal kind of thing on this video. Uh, what are we at? Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. So um, here's what happens. She goes – she basically says, here's what the government's saying. They'll give you a one-level reduction, but that's just to get you back to court. Once you're in front of the judge, you can argue that all of these other things come into play and you want – you believe you deserve more. She says, and I think we'll be able to get Judge Batten, which is my judge. Well, I think we'll be able to get Judge Batten to give give you more time off of your sentence. And I went, um, okay. I said, you know, I said, well, let, let me, uh, you know, let me talk to Frank, and I'll let you know. And she was like, okay, you want to talk to Frank? She's like, I'm your lawyer. I'm like, yeah, I know, but you know, I said Frank, like, like Frank's like amazing. And God's talking to him. So if God, if 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 you have God's ear, ear like if you have God's ear, I got I got to talk to that dude before I talk to you. Like you're just some chick that jump on a plane. This this Frank's like homies with God. So I got to see what Frank says. So she says, okay, let me know. So anyway, I go back. I explain to Frank, here's what's going on. Because we thought the government was going to come and say three levels off or two levels. And you have to understand that every level gets progressively larger and larger. So if you have – if you were sentenced and you you calculated, let's say, 10 levels, well, that might be, let's say, five years. And every level at that point is maybe roughly – you know, one level might be six months. Well, the next level – the next level would be worth seven months. And the next one might be worth nine months. And the next one might be 11. And the next level up. So the more levels you get, it's not like every level is worth like seven months. By the time I had so many levels in my case, by the time I got to my sentence, each the last level was worth 40 months. They start off at like three months. So it was that many levels in my case. I got that many enhancements. Um, and it, what ended up happening was I said, I'll take the 40, 40, but I want to go back in front of the court, in front of the judge. She said, of course, of course. So I talked to Frank and Frank says, yeah, um, I think she should argue for six levels. I think six or seven level. I think that's, that's reasonable. Um, he said, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping to get 10 
10 to 15 years knocked off your sentence, I think that's that's something that's doable. So I think you need to have her argue that. And I said, okay. He said, but take it so that you can get back in front of the judge because they said your judge based on the on the motions. Like to him, in the motions, the judge was talking to us. Now I don't know. I didn't hear the judge in there, and I don't understand. But Frank was able to kind of read these things. And as a lawyer, if you talk to a lawyer, he'll kind of say, yeah. That is kind of like you get a read for judges as they kind of go along, how quickly they 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 file something, how long their briefs are, things that they say in the briefs, uh, things they say in court. Like you can get a read on them. Frank felt he got a read, and he was saying that, look, your judge, your judge, he he knows he gave you too much time. Like he gave you that time, expecting you were gonna get, he was gonna be able to bring you back and knock time off your sentence. He knows he, that's what should have happened. It didn't happen. Trust me, you need to get in front of him. Give him an opportunity. So I go back a, a few. So I tell I tell uh, Esther that, and I go back to court. I go back to court. I go in front of the judge. We argue. Oh, this is what's interesting. Is that when I go back. Jim Montrum comes and he he is gets on the witness stand and he's, you know, not deposed, but he's where he's a witness for me. So he's a witness for me, and the US attorney talks to him, and um my lawyer talks to him. Millie, my former lawyer, the one that I'm saying was ineffective, she gets on the stand, she testifies for me. The FBI agent because I had also worked with an FBI agent that had come to see me. I don't think I've gotten into that yet. I may not get into that. Like it was like I had an FBI agent that was – they were coming to see me. After I got to Coleman, they would come to see me and talk to me about cases. Um, and But the thing is I would talk to them about cases and we would go over the cases and the files and I'd explain this is fraud and this looks wrong and this isn't right and that. And, and all, on mine, my, my stuff too, and, but nothing ever happened. But she came and she testified for me. So I have all these people testifying for me, and then the judge gets up, and you know I, I testified for myself. I couldn't even hold it together, and Connor, Connor knows I, I cry like a baby, like a small child over for pretty much anything. Um, and so I get on the stand, and I'm 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 crying like a like like a like probably like a four or five year old little girl who you've like taken away like a puppy, like maybe you gave her a puppy for three days, and then one day you just take her puppy. And she's just inconsolably crying, like snot rolling down my nose. Like I'm, it was, it was a. <gasps> I couldn't even hold it together, bro. It was so bad. It was such a a a a non Wes Watson moment. Let's say, like, not a tough guy inmate. Yeah, not not what it was going on at that time. So, um. You know, I tell the judge that I feel like I had fundamentally changed, that the the Senate changed me, that I, I realized what I did was wrong, and that, you know, listen, no danger here. <laughs> I'm all good. I hear you. I he was like, listen, I hear you. I see what – when you gave me the 26 years, I hear what you were going for. I got you. I'm all good. We don't need to complete this sentence. Message received, buddy. Anyway – so I sit down and I'm sitting there and I the judge listen when I was talking to him at one point when I was you know um testifying or whatever you want to say just 
being interviewed by my lawyer and talking. I remember at one point I looked over at him and he looked over at me and the look on his face was, wrap it up. I want, I don't want to get caught in traffic. Like, I mean, it was just like, wrap it up, bro. Like, fuck you. I mean, he just, he just looked at me like, like he was so like, give me a fucking break. And the thing is, I was genuinely sincere with everything I was saying, but he could have cared less. Like, I was like, oh, wow. And I remember immediately thinking, he's already made up his mind. Nothing we're saying here is going to change his mind. So I wrapped it up, went and sat down, and the judge went, and I was absolutely right. Because he rambled off what he was going to say so quickly that it, it was – I barely caught it. Like I remember he, he, sat, he sat there and said, OK, well, I've heard you – know, I've heard from the prosecution. I've heard from the defense. And I believe that what Mr. Cox has done is he's, he's done. Now, whether or not he's – what he's – the things that he's done, he said um, to get a sentence reduction, he said, I have no idea if he did those things because he genuinely has changed or whether or not he – only did those things because he wanted a sentence reduction. He was regardless. It is. It's irrelevant. I, it's not within my scope uh, or my ability to look into his soul and see those things. He said. So he said, "Here's the thing." He said, "The government is asking for a one level reduction." He goes, "That's not nearly enough of a reduction for what this man has done." He said, uh, "He has helped you. He's been interviewed. He's done all these things. He wrote an ethics and fraud course. He's met with FBI agents. He's met with Secret Service agents. He's done everything." Within his power, he said, and I believe that one level is not isn't nearly enough for what he's done. He was Mr. Cox. He said, your lawyer is asking for a nine level reduction, which would be a it was like a fifteen year reduction. He was he, he, she's asking for a nine level reduction, which would be fifteen years. He said that was never going to happen, and I was just like, oh my god! And he goes, that was never going to happen. He said, so I've thought about it. He said, and uh, based on the uh, sentencing guidelines and what's fair in the law and blah, 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 he just rambled it off. He said, he said, I'm going to go ahead and reduce Mr. Cox's sentence by three levels. He said, and that is – it's it's basically seven years. So it's actually like a month under seven years uh, or something like that. So he, he said, which is a blah, 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 you know, this many. He said, essentially, he said, basically seven years off your sentence. He said, and he said, for for someone who's, he said, for someone whose cooperation didn't lead to the arrest or indictment of anyone, he said, as a result of that, he said, I think it's, he said, I think it's fair. And he said, that's the ruling of the court. And he said, you know, that's it. And boom, got up, bam, hit his gavel and bolted. He was gone. And I was like, holy shit, like seven years? Like I, I got 26 years, like seven years. Like initially I felt like I'd been shafted. But, you know, like they handcuffed me and then they took me out. You know, I had to wait in a little holding cell for a little bit. And then they walked me outside. It's funny because this – the court – Hit the courtroom was being redone, and so they had me in like an auxiliary or an annexed courtroom in another small town, not in downtown Atlanta. And so I really didn't. There was no Sally Port or anything. Like I literally got walked out of the courthouse in front of traffic, traffic, and in front of people walking down the sidewalk. Like literally, the marshals like stop people, and you know they've got shotguns and shit, and I'm walking, you know, with my in my little orange jumpsuit and I've got my handcuffs and chains and people are like, Oh, it's Hannibal Lecter. So I, I I'm walking. And as I'm walking to the van, 
to be brought back to the U.S. Marshal's holdover. As I'm walking, I look across the street and I can see Millie, um, you know, my original lawyer. And I can see her in her car and she looks up at me. And I just remember she looked so sad, like like I'm. it's so sad that, you know, he only got seven years. And I remember looking at her and I went, eh, like that. And she just went and just kind of grinned. And I said, eh. So I got in the fucking van. By the time I got back to the Marshall's holdover, I had had a good long talk with myself. Sometimes I have to have talks with myself uh, to to get my head right because I was extremely disappointed. And then I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, you just got seven years knocked off your sentence. Like if you do the drug program, which is RDAP, I could get another year knocked off. Plus with game time, Plus, if you get a year halfway house, like, you you really only have about seven years to go, which wasn't true, by the way. I had eight or nine. It was, it was, it was basically eight or nine, about nine more years to go. But I was like, you know, you can get this knocked off and this and this. And you basically are going to have to do about seven more years. Best case scenario, you're out of here in seven years. And I and I just done seven years. Like, I, at this point in my in my my tenure, my, my, my sentence, I'd done 10 years or I mean, I'd done seven years. So I was like, you just did seven years that you didn't think you could do. And you just did them. You can do another seven years. And at this point I had started to write all of these guys stories. And I thought you're going to, you know, what's great is you have an opportunity here to write these guys' true crime stories and get out with a wealth of, of intellectual property. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to collect true crime stories for the next seven years. That's what you're going to do. This is a good thing. You're okay. It could have been worse. He could have given you 40 months. It could have been even worse. You could have never met, um, been lucky enough to be in a prison with Amadeo, and you could have just been getting out in 2030, which is when you're supposed to get out. So, you know, I thought, you know what? Be thankful. Nobody had to do shit for you. Be thankful. And I, so literally by the time I got off the van, got out of the van, I was in a great mood. Like I just got seven years knocked off my sentence. And, um, yeah, so that was it. I got back and I remember I went to Frank. First thing I did, like, I mean, I, I got there just before four o'clock count, four o'clock count happened. They let us out for chow. I immediately went to see Frank Amadeo. So he's the first person I went to go see other than the guys in my unit, walk in to see, to see Frank or walk. I, I met him. At, uh, he was actually out by uh, Stonehenge. So I go straight to Stonehenge. I walk up to him and I said, Frank. And he goes, hey, he said, I heard you got back. He said, I heard you got, he goes, I heard you got um, seven years knocked off. And I said, I did. I did. I said, I wanted to thank you for that. And he goes, you're welcome. And he sat there and he looked at me and I said, you know, I, I don't want to seem thank, uh, seem like I don't want to seem unappreciative. I said, but I was just hoping for more. And he go, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry that I, I feel this way. And he said, you know, I was hoping for more too. He said, but the thing is, he said, it. I think that we're just going to have to eat this elephant one spoonful at a time. Something else will come out 
I think you'll get some more time knocked off. Something else will come up. Something will happen. And he just looked at me and I went, okay, okay. And he said, you know, you did good. And I was like, no, thank you. Thank you. He said, no problem. And yeah, I was, I was really, you know, I was, it was a mixture of disappointment and, and real, and just really also being thankful at the same time. It was hard. It was like, okay, you got seven or seven, you got about eight or nine more years to go, really, to be honest. You really had, I really had nine more years to go. Um, technically, I, but I was lucky I could get off some time, get a little bit halfway house, get some, I might be able to get out in seven. But at that moment, you know, I, um, it was, it was like, you know, like it was really the term bittersweet. Uh, but yeah, he said, uh, we're going to have to eat this elephant one spoonful at a time. And I remember I went to chow and, you know, I went to chow. That was it. So. I am so sorry that I did not explain Frank's story. I will do that in the next video. And uh, I really wanted to do it in this one, um, but we're, we're coming up on, you know, we're over 40 minutes. So, uh, but the next video, I'm going to explain how Frank Amadeo ended up in prison. Super interesting story. Uh, and of course, I'm also going to, uh, I don't know if it's that one, but I'm also going to explain how I got my sentence reduced again. Yeah, yeah, again. Because <laughs> if I hadn't, I'd still be, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'd still be in prison. So, um, yeah, okay. I, because actually my, my outdate at that point was now like 20, it was like 2020, because with good time, because you, you lose good, it would have been 2024. So I would still be in prison. I would still be in <laughs> prison. Oh my God. Listen, anyway, I appreciate you, uh, you watching the video. I appreciate you guys. If you subscribe and hit the bell, you'll get notified of videos like this. And I appreciate just, you know, you guys in general. And I, more than anything, I appreciate being, uh, out of prison. So, um, leave me a comment. Let me know what's up. I appreciate Share the video. See ya. Buried by the U.S. government and ignored by the national media. This is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Services Fund, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began work to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the US government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre, true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible.